Thing in the hollering is going to go up every day, right? Yeah. Come on now. Listen, I'm, I'm super excited about today, but uh, because of the fact that you guys are special and came here three or four minutes before we're going to get started, I'm going to give you a very free Evangelism 101 lesson. You all right with that? Good, because uh, we're going to start in just a couple of minutes when other people are just kind of coming and getting in from their seminar. But here's what I would like you to do. This is my Steve Wilson 101 evangelism lesson, because the reality is there's stacks of people here from all over the country, and uh, you've kind of come here and you're all very friendly, but sometimes it can be the case that we're a little bit nervous in advance of starting to speak to people. So my 101 evangelism lesson is this. You've got to find someone who you don't know, and you've just got a minute each to say hello how are you, and find out something about them, all right? Stand up, one minute, hello, how are you, someone you don't know, meet somebody new, this is your first step to engaging with someone you don't know, all right? Go for it. Okay, well done, you have passed your first test, I'm very excited. Now listen real carefully for a minute, because there's something very important to say. Every time, as someone who's been going out in the streets and, and trying to meet people and share Jesus for a number of years now, every time I go out, I get that little bit of a kind of a the butterfly feeling, and a little bit of nerves. Anyone else get that? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you not just saying it's me because I get nervous every time I go out. But here's something that I just wanted to encourage you with before we kind of get these guys on the feet who are going to be sharing with us today, okay? It's not about you, okay? And actually, the reality is that whenever I pray for the sick, whenever I share the gospel, we can't do anything ourselves, right? It's God who saves. It's him who heals. But today, it's all about obedience and all about us listening to the Holy Spirit and responding to him. And that's good news, right? Because the pressure is off you. You understand? So we just get to go and have fun. So in that vein, I just want you to take a huge, deep breath. Fill your lungs with as much oxygen as you possibly can, all right? And hold it. And as you breathe it out really slowly, just remind yourself, God, it's all about you. Today's going to be a great day. I'm really excited to be venturing out with some of you guys. God's going to do some wonderful things amongst us. And today we're going to basically set up for what is the big picture of the gospel. What is God doing in the world? And then we're going to give you the first technique and the first uh, method, if you like, of what we're going to be doing this afternoon as we go out and hit our various towns all over this county. Are you ready? Outstanding. Well, listen, I would love, well done. So I, I, I like the encouragement, okay? You have permission to be loud today, all right? So you hear something you're... Very good. I'm liking this. So every time you hear something good, I'm happy for you to whoop, holler, clap, cheer, and be excited, all right? It's a good thing that we're doing today. And so the first thing you can whoop, holler, clap, cheer about is the amazing Simon Thomas, who's going to come and start speaking to us. So give him a huge round of applause. Morning, everyone all right? Right, give us a wave with your gold wristbands. Give us a wave with your red T-shirts. Give us a wave with your black t-shirts. Give us a wave with your blue t-shirts. Yeah, the posh people. Okay, so uh, it's lovely to be with you at New Day. Uh, it's, this is my 10th New Day. Who's been to more New Days than me? Jas Potter. How many have you been to? All of them. Yes, well done. It's not really. It's a bit sad. No, it's great. Uh, and it's lovely to be with you. Uh, I've come uh, all the way from Plymouth, uh, where I'm based as part of Redeemer Church. Uh, yes, it is a long way. Uh, someone asked me earlier on, how long does it take you to get here? And it is about eight hours uh, in the car, nine hours on the coach. Who took longer than nine hours to get here? Where are you guys from? Scotland. Hello, great to see you. Brilliant. Okay, so anyway. No, that's good. Sorry. Slightly Irish accent there. And uh, so, uh, yep, been in Plymouth for two years. Uh, I'm married, uh, Jenny, my wife. We have two children, uh, Bethan, who's seven, and Samuel, who's five. Been at Redeemer now for two years down in the city. And before that, I was at KCC in Southampton. Uh, with the three of them, uh, for about 12 years working full-time uh, where uh, Ben Rowe is now based. And so at uh, KCC and at Redeemer, part of my role has been to help those churches and other churches, in fact, to be a little bit more kind of missional, a little bit more evangelistic, a little bit more outreachy in their thoughts and their mentalities. And really, that's what I want to do with us this morning. I want us just to once again fall in love with Jesus. I want you to be so 
besotted by the end of this session that you can't help but kind of vomit out the gospel when we're out and about. I was thinking about it, it's a little bit like Jonah and the big fish, not the whale. And uh, in that moment, in the big fish, I know it's kind of the... God kind of made the fish do it. But almost, you can imagine this kind of, this big fish has got his mouth so full of good news, so full of Jonah, he can't help but expel Jonah onto the beach to go and take the gospel to places where the gospel has never been heard. This afternoon, the likelihood is you will be speaking to people who have never heard the gospel before. And I want you to get so excited by what we're going to be talking about that you can't help but do that. But I want you to do that the way that you do that. I don't want to try and make you into me or into Steve or into Adrian Holloway or into Billy Graham or into Jay John or anyone else. I want you to be you and do what you're supposed to be doing so that this afternoon, tomorrow afternoon, Saturday afternoon, and when you get home, you can continue to be you the bearer of good news, the way that God has called you to do it. I want you to do what with this kind of tagline for New Day this year is, to rise up, take courage, and do it. Because for many of us, this idea of evangelism has become this big thing. It's not really that big a thing. It's just telling other people about Jesus. That's what we talked about yesterday. Why? Well, because we're compelled. We love Jesus. We're commanded. Jesus told us to do it. Because it's a crisis. People need to know the gospel. And of course, it's something that we all do. We all share our faith. That's just, we just do it. We just are. We just are signposts to God, whether you want to be or not. That's why Rob was saying yesterday, miserable Christians make the worst evangelists because that's what people think Christians are supposed to be. Miserable. Boring. Weird. There are weird Christians, but they were weird before they were Christians as well. And the reality is, <laughs> I'm glad you like that gag, because I do it every talk. Uh, and uh, the reality is that we want to be those who carry this good news with us. And so we are all people who share faith, but also God has specifically gifted some people to be able to be unique carriers of the message. God has gifted people to be evangelists. Now, we're not all evangelists, but God has called some people to be evangelists. Those who help build up the church in their mission, encouraging them to be gossipers of the gospel, to be demonstrators of the gospel, to be speakers of the gospel, but also to be those who carry the message as well of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised from the dead. For me, I became a Christian when I was 14. I'd always been to church, uh, but really it was at university uh, that I kind of got involved with the Christian Union, and through that we did a big week of events together. And in that kind of week, we were introducing people to Jesus. And one of the church leaders that I knew quite well was there with one of his mates called uh, Steve Lee, who's now at Hope Church in Winchester. And they were doing something a little bit weird, which kind of got me a little bit interested. That's all good. It's just over here. Hang on. They were sawing a lady in half with a saw like this. Don't worry, I'm perfectly normal. Honestly. And they were sawing... What's this? Oh, yeah. That's my man trap. I've got a man trap as well. This is quite cool. Who wants to go? The Scottish... Hey, I'll have a go with that one. Sorry, just... Just went there. Sorry about that. And uh, I kind of got into doing a few things like that and met this guy, Steve, who taught me to do a few weird things using one of these. This is a straight jacket. What? And uh, just underneath that is a, is a guillotine as well. So I kind of use a straight jacket and a guillotine, things like the soaring of people in half, man traps, all that kind of stuff, to talk about Jesus, which I know isn't particularly normal, okay? I know that. I know not all of you have got a straitjacket at home. Some of the Scottish lot, maybe. But uh, the reality is that for me, when I became a Christian at 14, I kind of rediscovered the love for Jesus. But at 18, as I started to go out on the streets, doing stuff like that, doing, this is me doing a straitjacket escape in Salisbury and sawing a lady in half in Fordingbridge. Um, As we were doing that, I kind of fell in love again with the message of the gospel. I fell in love again with the fact that Jesus is the greatest hero the world can ever know. 
And as I began to look again at the story of the Bible, as I began to, to get into Jesus again and rediscover just what Jesus had done for me, it really ruined me. Because I know that I can't do anything except tell other people about Jesus. I don't particularly want to all the time. Like Steve said, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit nervous about going out this afternoon. I am. I expect most of us are, if we're honest. But the reality is, because of what Jesus has done for us, again, as Steve said, it's not about us. None of us can save anybody. We just can't. But all we can do is signpost people towards Jesus and allow him to change their lives. And so I want to just remind you again of this great news. I want to remind you again of just what it is that we're taking out onto the streets of Kings Lynn or Norwich or Durham or wherever it is that you're going to go to this afternoon. This is the message that you carry. This is what it says in the book of Matthew chapter 13. It's talking about, this is what Jesus said about the message that we're taking out onto the streets. The message of the kingdom of heaven, verse 44, is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The reality is that the newest iPhone, the latest Xbox, a million pounds every year for the rest of your life don't even come close to the value of the message that we're taking on the streets today. The most expensive string of pearls, La Peregrina, I've done research, was bought for actress Liz Taylor and valued in the 60s at $11.8 million. That's the most expensive necklace, pearl necklace the world has ever seen. The reality is this, the unchanging, unflinching, unshakable truth of the good news of Jesus Christ is incomparably rich compared to the rarest of jewels. But sadly, the message has been diluted over the years. Jesus, the foundation of all things, is the truest of truths. He's the source of life. He's the answer to all the biggest questions in the universe. He is the way that all things find their purpose and meaning. And I want to remind you of the richness of this message. I want you to be so overwhelmed by what we're talking about today that when we get out on the streets, you won't be able to stay silent because it's bubbling inside of you. I'm cooking my dinners on a little kind of uh, little camping stove and I put the kettle on there and every time I forget that if you fill the kettle up completely, more lords, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry Steve, I went a bit King's Arms there. Okay, so, <laughs> Did I get a boo? Oh, I am enjoying myself. This is fantastic. I want you to be so enamored by Jesus that when we're out on the streets, you can't help but talk about this Jesus. Some of you will know that you can sum up this story using just four words. And I think that's kind of helpful for us as we're kind of thinking about where we're heading with this message. You can describe the Bible story, the message of the Bible in four words. Creation, fall, reconciliation, and completion. So let's just kind of go on a whistle-stop tour. Apologies, by the way, for those of you who are being translated for, I get faster. Okay, so, creation. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, in the very beginning of history, we have God. Not us. God. Some of you are going, yeah? <laughs> Good. The gospel actually is not really about us. It's actually about God. The background of the gospel is this. The good news is not for our benefit or for our salvation. That's not its primary purpose. The gospel is good news because God is good, not because we are bad. Jesus didn't come because we do wrong, but because he is right. And the good news that we're talking about has kind of two kind of pathways that you can look at. Number one, personal. The fact that we each individually need salvation. But second of all, it's cosmic. There is a world too that groans for rescue and restoration. We know that, don't we? You just need to turn on the news to see any matter of natural disasters, human-made disasters. The need for rescue and restoration is apparent whenever you look at any newspaper. The world is in a mess. But what happened? Because at the beginning, God, who is good, 
So why do we have this? Well, in the beginning of history, God already existed. The God that we're speaking about is an eternal God. In the beginning, he created. God declares life. And we can argue about how that happened. We can argue about big bangs or little bangs. We can argue about old earth, young earth, middle earth. You can argue about... Little gag in there for you. Well done. There will be a Gollum impression later, just to let you know. Uh, and, and all these things, we can kind of wrestle and argue with that. But the reality is God spoke and there was life. God is the author of life. God invented everything. God created all things. He created every type of plant from the daisy to the giant redwood. Every type of creature from the aardvark to zebra. Not only did God invent the blue whale, he also invented blue. Not the boy band, uh, but the color, blue. Blue didn't exist until God created blue. So God created blue and red and yellow and pink and green, purple. No, and it's okay. Don't, don't join in. It wasn't that good a gag. The reality is God created all of those things. God invented the rainbow. The world reflects the glory, the multicolored, myriad glory of God. God's world, God's creation, the entire universe helps describe God and show God. The majesty and magnificence and bigness of the universe pales into comparison with the bigness and magnificence and enormity of God. The world was created in part to reflect the glory of God. The power of the supernova is phenomenal but pales into significance against the power of God. And so God made all things. When he made the quasars and the stars, when God created the duck-billed platypus and the whale shark, when mountains and amoebas were made, God described his creation as good. And then the pièce de résistance. That's French. Unless you're Lego, in which case it's the piece of resistance. And... uh, Awesome gag. And the rea- what happened at that point was this. God created all things and it was good. And then a unique part of creation. Something that wasn't just made, but something that was made in the image of God. People. And when God invented people, he changed his description from good to very good. Humans are a special part of creation, made to be loved and to receive the greatest love known. To be accepted, to be prioritized, to be at the center of the gaze of the author of the universe. People, the universe itself, have both been created to reflect the greatness of God. To receive the loving attention of a glorious father. And in turn, to give glory to the glorious father. All is perfect. All is right. It's paradise. Perfect relationships. Perfect world. But then... The fall, Genesis chapter 2 and 3. The world we live in doesn't resemble paradise and perfection, does it? The perfect has become imperfect. The creator and the created are not enjoying paradise. Why? Because of sin. The willful rejection and replacement of God at the center. The created has replaced the creator. The turning away from God's ways is sin. Sin simply means rebellion, just a kind of not doing God's way. And the trouble is this, sin spoils, it separates, sin corrupts, sin usurps. Effectively, sin creates an impenetrable, impassable, unscalable wall. And what happens is like this, the kind of, the chains, I won't go too near the projector, the kind of the chains, the barrier is created. There is now no way to get between the perfect and the imperfect. Now, of course, not all sin is really, 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 really bad, okay? It's unlikely, although possible, that there are people in here who have murdered some people. That is very, very bad. But not all sin is like that. But all sin is wrong. All sin is anything that replaces a good thing And puts it in the place of God. Many good things can become God things. Anything that can take the place of God as an idol, as the foundation of life, is another brick in the barrier. And ultimately the wall is not just a barrier, it's also a filter. It filters out anything good, anything positive, anything that's love, anything that's 
that's good and right and joyous. And so what happens is on this side, you've got paradise. It's perfection. It's God and people in perfect unity. But on the far side is sickness. It's evil. It's wrong. It's hatred. And ultimately, that barrier is a filter where everything that is truly and ultimately good is one side and everything that is without good is on the other side. That's the impact of the fall. And of course, if we were to describe this place, a place full of love, a place full of joy, a place where there is no more pain, no more sickness, no more mourning, not even tears, every single person would want to live on this side. Every person that you're speaking to in Norfolk, every person that you speak to in Scotland, England, Ireland, Wales, Italy, Bulgaria, wherever it is that you're from, everybody wants to live on this site. But the reality is... Everybody lives on this side. And this side, it can seem quite nice because you can have everything you need. You can have everything that you think you want. You can have all the great relationships. You can have stuff. You can have as many different things as you want. Your life can be good. But it's still founded on the wrong thing. It's like building your life on a thin sheet of ice. And ultimately, the ice is going to melt. And destruction will follow. And that's the impact of the fall. And it's not just a personal thing. It's for the universe as well. The impact of sin is complete and absolute. It absolutely disrupts all things. In the Bible we read that the, the earth is groaning. It's really kind of shaking and, and because it's, it's longing to be freed. It's not just people that are chained up. The universe itself is chained up. It's been bound because of sin. The universe has become wobbly because of the impact of sin. The universe needs rescuing. People need rescuing because everything's on the wrong side. We need to be rescued. And we've also got to be really honest and say, for anyone who's founded their life on this site, if we die separated from God's, the description of what happens to those people is fairly unpleasant reading, to be perfectly honest with you. Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. It's like a furnace of fire where there is a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. The smoke of their torment, those who are on the wrong side, goes up forever and ever. They have no rest, day or night. Revelation chapter 20, 14. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And it's like that moment in Lord of the Rings where Gollum is just, he's kind of finally got there, he's, he's finally got the ring back and he's kind of, you know, he's having the fight with Sam and then with Frodo and Gollum, Gollum. Anyway, stupid fluffy hobbitses. And, and Gollum, it's good, isn't it? It's actually a very good impression. Thank you. And he finally gets the ring and he topples backwards into that lake of fire. And that last moment that you see Gollum disappearing into the lake of fire and all that's left on the top is the ring. And ultimately that gets consumed. Except the Bible says there is no consuming. It's eternal. One of the descriptions of hell in the Bible calls it the Valley of Gehenna, which was like a, a deep, narrow gorge to the south of Jerusalem. Child sacrifice used to take place there. It became a condemned area. It became the rubbish dump where all the filth, all the, um, we use the posh word, excrement, uh, everything that was vile and nasty and fetid went outside of Jerusalem. It was one of those places, you've probably seen those pictures where the kind of, the rubbish heaps are constantly, there's just that fire burning all the time, that thick black smoke, the stench of rotting flesh. That's the kind of description that's used of those, or at least the ultimate destination of those whose lives are founded on the wrong side. People and the universe find themselves chained to the effects of sin. And what happens is we stand on this side and we say, it's religion's fault that we're on this side. It's terrorism's fault that we're on this side. It's your fault that we're on this side. It's their fault that we're on this side. But all that happens is we're fighting in and amongst the wrong side. We need to look for another to come from outside of the situation. The great hero, the one who will bring reconciliation. You see, God knows the severity of the impact of the fall, the drasticness required to overcome. God's glory is eternal, and so punishment too needs to be eternal. Total fall requires total redemption. 
The impact of sin has knocked everything off orbit. A straightening needs to occur. And that's where the hero comes in and takes place center stage. The one who never claims to show how to unwobble the universe. The one who never claimed to be one who might help people to go over the barrier. But the one who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. The one who claimed to be the barrier destroyer himself. Not the one to scale the wall, but the one to eradicate the wall completely. And of course, we know that he was fully God and yet fully human, Jesus Christ. Jesus completed the beginning, unstoppable advance of the kingdom in his life and in his death and in his resurrection and his ascension. Jesus did not die to make you nice. Did you know that? Jesus didn't die to make anyone happy. Jesus died the death of the Son of God to unwobble the universe, to actually bring perfect peace, the shalom, the complete wholeness of all things that we read about in Scripture. That is what Jesus died to do, to restore the relationships of humans and God and to ease the groaning of the earth. The whole universe is impacted by the crucifixion and the resurrection. Please know that. Please know that Jesus didn't just die for individuals. He did die for individuals and he died for the whole universe to be reconciled to God. The death of Jesus pays the price deserved of sin. Death. And I know that many of you guys will know this, but I, know, I need you to really get to know it again. I really need to get you to understand it again. That Jesus' death means that death no longer needs to happen. Death has been defeated. Death has been destroyed. That side of the barrier need no longer apply because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has died, so we don't need to. Jesus has been separated from Father God so that we don't need to. And have you thought about what happened when Jesus died? Some weird stuff happens. When Jesus dies, it goes dark. Now, many of you will have seen a solar eclipse or a partial solar eclipse last year or the year before. We were down in Plymouth. We were looking at the solar eclipse safely. Uh, well, not very safely. We had a pair of binoculars. We were trying to kind of line it up on a bit of paper. It was rubbish. But anyway, we watched it on the telly. It was much better. And... Um, we were watching the eclipse, and you kind of go, it's getting darker, it's getting darker. Oh, it's a bit dark, it's getting lighter, it's getting lighter. It sort of it lasts about five minutes. Kind of the news had been going on about it for months before. It's over in a few seconds. That's not what happened when Jesus died. It was dark for hours. As the author and perfecter of life died, so the sun was blocked. The source of life. The source of heat, the source of light on this planet was blocked off. As Jesus, the one through whom all things were made and have their being, as he died, darkness fell. The universe was responding to what was going on. What also happened, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain that divided the holy place of God with the unholy unholy, that's the right word, place of people. There was a curtain that used to divide that. That got ripped down in two. God was doing a new thing. We were able to access God for the first time. And then some weird stuff happens. The zombies. Okay? The walking dead is not a new program. It was in the Bible first. Okay? Dead people come out of their graves and start walking into the middle of the city center. You're unlikely to have that today. (laughs) Although some of you look like, <laughs> have a shower, it's not that difficult. And uh, what happens is like the, the death itself begins to unwind. If you've seen The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, or more importantly, read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, you'll know that Aslan talks about that, the death itself begins to unwind. As Jesus dies, there is a promise of something else, the resurrection, new life. Jesus rising from the dead three days later underlines this truth, death itself is no longer a barrier. It has been eradicated. That's why Jesus says on the cross, it is. I need it louder than that. It is. 
Colossians 1 tells us it's personal. He has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And it's universal. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through shedding his blood on the cross. The cross bridges the barrier. It demolishes the barrier created by sin. And as we look to the cross, we see it as a way to come back into the place where we can enjoy relationship in perfect paradise with the Father. But also the universe itself is now able to be renewed and restored. The groanings can finally be freed. Jesus coming and dying and ascending back to heaven is the key. It's the pivotal moment, but it's not the end of the story. And we know that, don't we? Because that all happened 2,000 or so years ago. So what now? Because the world isn't still quite that perfect paradise that I painted at the start. Fourth bit, we'll be quick with this, Rob. I promise you I'll be quick. Completion. Or if you want posh words, consummation. But completion. God has the big plan for his universe. Did you know that? Thank you. One person knew that. Let me tell you something fascinating. God has a plan for his universe. Now you all know it. And that is both unfolding now and will be ultimately concluded or completed when Jesus comes back again. When Jesus came the first time, he inaugurated, he began the work of the kingdom being established. Uh, The second coming will be the ultimate heralding of the kingdom, firmly and finally established. A new heaven and a new earth will be established. Did you know that? If you are here today and think that when you die, you're going to spend eternity in heaven, you're wrong, I'm afraid. You're actually going to be on a new earth, in a new, under a new heaven. There is going to be a moment where we will go to be with paradise when we die on this, in this earth, and we'll explain why we do that in a moment. But ultimately, when Jesus comes back again, the creation will be renewed and restored, and we will dwell again on a new earth. The reason we know that is because you weren't destroyed when you became a Christian. I don't know if you knew that. When you became a Christian, you weren't obliterated. You were rescued and restored. And ultimately, you'll receive your new body when you enter the kingdom. So with the new earth, there will be the eradication of that which is wrong, but a renewal of that which is right. The perishable will become imperishable. And on this new earth, the desert will bloom, the Bible says. The waters will flow. The reaper will overtake the sower. The, uh, the mountains will drip wine. There will be no hurt, no pain, no sickness, no death, no prejudice, no fear. That's what everyone wants. Today, you are the herald of the message that says... This is how that is possible. Because you take Jesus with you wherever you go. The gospel is good news not just because we've been rescued from hell, but because we've been rescued to glory. The gospel is good news not just because we're saved from the effects of sin, but because we have been one an eternity of abundant life. The good news, the gospel is not just the cross and resurrection. It's not just my sin is paid for and I go to be with Jesus, though these are features. It is a much bigger, wider story. Both sides are key for us to hear and now to live in the truth. They should burn in our souls. There should be that uncontrollable want and need to take that message with us. Every person on this planet longs to live on that new earth. That's why John Lennon's song Imagine is often voted the number one song ever. Imagine this glorious world where there is nothing wrong. Spoiler alert. Jesus has already established the beginning of that and will ultimately see it come to pass today. We've seen that it's only on the right side of the wall that it's possible for individuals and for the whole of creation. That's why Jesus came to demolish the wall and open up the way for all creation and in particular for the most special part of creation, people, to enter paradise, to be in that place of pure and eternal perfection in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. Rob. Fantastic. Thanks, Simon. Right, so you guys are probably wondering what are you going to be doing this afternoon? Well, um, listen up, I'll explain. Today... Um, we're doing a model of evangelism or a way of doing evangelism that we're calling presence evangelism. 
Presence evangelism is really simple and it's a great thing to do on the first day of outreach in an area. It's simply consecrating some time to be present in a place available to do whatever God wants you to do. It's not scripted. There's not a formula. You pray and you go where you feel led as a group and you do what you feel God prompts you to do. It's really about saying, God, I am available. I am here in this place this afternoon. Where are you moving? Where do you want me to go? We're going to do models where there is a script. There's kind of a plan of what you can say. Um, But sometimes we need to learn to listen to God and fill the air with prayer wherever we go and simply just be available to do whatever he wants us to do. We're not going to be in a hurry this afternoon to knock on every door in a community. You've got three days. We're going to start with this really, really simple approach. Now, this is one of the most common ways that I do evangelism. So, for example, I get on a train and I say, Lord, I've got this journey. I'm available. I would love to speak about you today to someone. Lead me to sit next to the right person. I might find I sit next to somebody and I pray in my head for them. And we maybe start a conversation, I don't know, chatting about the weather. But before long, a conversation has opened up. Maybe they ask me about what I'm doing today, and I'm doing something, I explain it to them. Sometimes I go to a cafe for an hour. I just know that God wants me to be there. In fact, this happened a few months ago. I, just, I was doing a talk on evangelism, and I, and I woke up in the morning and I thought, Lord, I feel like a fraud. I haven't spoken to anyone about you for it feels like ages. Lord, it would be really nice if you could line me up somebody who I could talk to about you um, before I go and talk about evangelism. So I I went to this cafe um, in my community and I took a Bible and a pen and I thought, I'm just going to read my Bible and a pen, but I'm going to pray that God somehow will prompt me that there's someone in this cafe that I could just chat to about him. Now, the fear came. Do you know one of the things that's true for me about evangelism is it doesn't matter how how many successes I've had, the fear just sometimes can come back. Um, I could have an amazing day the day before, and then the next day I feel a bit of a wimp. And so I sat there in this cafe, and I clocked someone in the corner uh, of the room, and I felt almost immediately that they were the person. But I was I wimped out, and I was like, Lord, I, I'm, I, I'm not sure actually I'm up for this today. So I sat there with my Bible and I just started making notes and it was, it was honestly a bit of agony because I knew that God wanted me to speak to this person and after about half an hour of really painful Bible study, I went, oh Lord, you want me to speak to this person, don't you? What shall I, what shall I say? And it was, a, it, was a, it was a lady in the corner and um, I've heard him say, just say hello. I was like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> So I went, hello. And she went, hi, are you a Christian? Is that a Bible? Yes. (laughs) And then she said, "Um, I've never met a Christian before. I went, really? You've never met a Christian before? She said, no, none of my family are Christians. None of my friends are Christians. Maybe I'd be a Christian if I'd ever met a Christian. Wow. Well, so do you like know anything about Christianity? No, nothing. Well, I mean, would you would you like to know anything? Yeah. Okay then. So we chatted and we talked, and um, I told her. That I, one of the things I said to her when this conversation was, you know, like people who come to church, not everyone who comes to church is like actually really believes it's true. A lot of people come because they're just figuring out what they think. And I said, and we've actually got someone your age in our church at the moment who says that they're 70% Christian. And um, she said, oh, well, I was 0% Christian before I met you. But now I'm at least 5%, maybe 10%. <laughs> it was simple. I just went where God wanted me to do. <laughs> and I said, hello. And um, it's about being, presence evangelism is about being available for the unpredictable and just simply setting aside some time 
to say, God, you can do whatever you want with me in this moment. Sometimes you might go to a place and you don't have a conversation. You just pray. That is still success because the goal is simply to be available in a place. And you are going to these same places three times, okay? So we're just laying this foundation, first of all. So you are in groups of about five, probably you'll be split up, um, or arranged into groups with your responsible adults that you know, and you, you can play, pray as a group, look, God, we're giving this time to you, show us where you want us to go, prompt us if there's anything that you want us to do. You then pray wherever you go. I want you to fill the air with prayer, bring the kingdom of God with prayer. You see people's faces and you pray Jesus all over them. You listen to God with your ears. You go where he wants you to go. So it could be a park. It could be a cafe. It could be a specific street. You never waste time being available to God. And there are people that he wants you to touch in these communities that he's been waiting for someone to be available so that he could send you. He can line it up for you. So it really is that simple. But what I want to do is give you, if you like, a few things in your backpack so that if opportunities open up, you know what you can do. Number one, as I've already said, pray. You could go to an area and simply start praying and just see what happens. So it could be the park, it could be a street, it could be a a cafe. Um, The other day, I was just walking on a prayer walk and I said hello to a lady who was gardening and said, you seem to be doing pretty well, working hard, how's it going? She, She had a German accent. We got into a conversation about her story and where she'd come from. She opened up. I didn't get to share the gospel, but I was able to say, look, I'm... I'm here, um, and if you ever want prayer for anything, you know, you know where to find me. Now, you guys have got red T-shirts, okay? That is a conversation star. Why are you wearing a red T-shirt? Just tell them in, in your own words about New Day. Just tell them that you're here at the Norfolk Showground. By the way, Norfolk people love that. Mention the Norfolk Showground, and it's legit, okay? You just say it, Norfolk Showground. Oh, okay, that's all right. And to be honest, we've been here for a few years, so kind of, a lot of people will recognize the red T-shirts as well and kind of know there's this big thing going on. It's a big deal for Norfolk. So you can just pray and, and see what happens when you pray. Secondly, you can offer prayer. So you could just be prompted and go up to someone and say simply, hey, I'm a Christian, I just saw you, and I wondered if there is anything I can pray for you about. That's totally fine. You can do that. That's easy. Um, A lot of people are very open to that. Number three, you can do something kind. So you see someone who needs help carrying something and you help them. You see someone looking sad and you buy them a bunch of flowers. You see someone gardening and you offer help. Number four, if you get into a conversation and your t-shirts are a pretty great conversation starter, um, you can share with them a story. It could be how you became a Christian. It could be how your faith has helped you through something difficult. It could be a specific answered prayer, but it could actually just be someone else's story. I mean, to be honest, that's what I do a lot. I just tell people stories of somebody I know or have heard of who became a Christian. And don't think that because you're young, you don't have a story to tell. You do, Everybody does. I just want to give you a moment now, just in your groups, not to retell a story, but just think, is there any story that I think is just a great story that I, is either someone else's story, is my story, it could be how your faith has helped you, or an answered prayer. Just chat in small groups and think, what story could I tell? You've got quite a lot of time to think about it, so you don't have to have an answer now, but just chat in your groups. If, if I got into a conversation with somebody, what's just a great story that just brings glory to Jesus and shows people that he's amazing. Do that now. You don't have to tell the whole story, just the, the, the headline. What kind of story is it? Oh, I've got a story of an answer prayer. Oh, I've got a story of a healing. Oh, I've got a story of how God helped me through that thing I went through. Put your hand up if you've already thought of a story. Fantastic. Anyone else? You just thought of a story. It doesn't have to be an amazing story. It's just a story. It's all, it's all good. Okay, keep talking. Keep thinking. Okay, guys, well, if you stop now, you've got, you've got lunchtime, you've got a coach journey. Try and think of one, one story. 
It doesn't have to be the best story in the world. And like, you, you might think, I don't know how to explain how I became a Christian very well, so, but I can, I can say a really great story of how my faith has helped me. That's great. It doesn't all have to fit in a box. You know, like everyone's got different stories. And, and to be honest, I really do use a lot of stories about other people's lives that I just think they just re- there's something about this story that really relates with people. So have a think. Talk to your group leaders about that. So if you get in a conversation, you can share a story. If you get into a conversation, you can share information about the church that you are there to represent. So you will be in groups where every group will have some packs. These packs are like information packs about the church. Now, these are not to just be handed out like a flyer on the street at all. These are, if you get into a conversation with someone, they're interested already in a bit. They seem interested in Jesus and Christianity in some way and or interested in the church. And you, can, you make the offer and you say, would you, would you like to know a bit more about the church that we're helping? If they say, yes, I would like to know a bit more, then you've got this pack of information that you can give them. And that, and, and that can help make a connection. Um, number six, when you meet people, learn the skill of asking questions and listening. Simple thing, a foundation of evangelism, just learning to just be interested in other people. Do you know, the people out there are interesting. Even their experiences, their stories, be fascinated in them. It's fun. You could ask them what they do. Ask them if they always lived here. Ask them about their. F- ask them if they have a faith. Do you have a faith? Do you believe in anything? Be interested. When they talk about their beliefs, just listen and be interested. Don't try and criticise or tell them that they're wrong. Um, just listen. Give them opportunities to ask you questions. You know, sometimes when I've chatted with people, I found asking a question really helpful. Like, what do you think of the church? What do you think of the church? You know, it's that, that question draws out stuff that it's good to just listen to and be humble and just say, okay, you've had a bad experience of the church. That's really interesting. That's not my experience, but I, I'm really glad that you share with me. You can ask them, what do you think is the purpose of life? And just listen, what, what, you, what do you think the purpose of life is? I'm interested, I want to know. We will also give you a, a, a one-question survey on a clipboard up your sleeve so that you could, if you want to, um, engage with lots of people very quickly in an area. Now, we really want you to be led by God in what you do, and this is really just to give you something that you can do if you feel like, if you feel like you feel led to do it and it's also really good um uh, to have up your sleeve if you if you've maybe got an area where it's a lot of houses and there's not maybe a lot of you finding there's not a lot of people in the park there's not a lot of people on the street but you want to start connecting with people and you want to go door to door that's a bit harder but with just a simple one question survey it's dead easy to do everything's explained um on the clipboard for that i don't need to really say anything about it pretty similar to what we did last year with Who Cares, but a little bit different as well. So those are six things that I want to give you in your backpack today. Six things that you could do and just be available. That is success. Success is being available and say, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do. How? A couple of reminders. Be nice. Be nice to people. Be friendly and gracious. Be sweetly gracious if you meet someone who's a bit grumpy or doesn't like Christianity smile at them and be nice don't argue with people but do answer the questions that they have number two stay in your groups what we say is that you can work in twos but you must always stay in sight of your responsible adult wearing the black t-shirt responsible adults stand up you are responsible at least for this afternoon you are, say, I am responsible. Okay, you will be going out with a group of young people in red t-shirts and you will be the only adult potentially in some situations. So you need to make sure you've got a mobile phone. You can borrow someone else's if you, yours has died or whatever. Make sure you've got a mobile phone and make sure you can always see your young people. So in some areas, people, you know, can, you can keep an eye on the two groups of pairs 
and that's fine. Um, other times you might send them one at a time and you might kind of get the others to huddle and pray. You guys can encourage and coach and just keep these guys going. But remember as well that these guys in the blue t-shirts, you sit down, blue t-shirted people stand up. You are even more responsible. And you guys can call them if you need anything, okay? They're to help you help your group, okay? So talk, um, you can stop at any time. You can sit down. Um, stay, so stay in your groups. You can stop at any time. Um, none of you have to do anything you don't want to do. You know, if you're not feeling great or whatever... Um, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. You can stop at any time. Just talk to your responsible adult. And remember, your responsible adults are there to support you. They might not be right there when you're having a conversation standing next to you, but they will be within sight of you. So you can immediately talk to them about what's going on. And the other thing to do is just work with the local church. Okay, We're here for just three afternoons. These guys are there, a lot of them, until they die. Okay, this is this is their mission field. Okay, this is it. And there are three roles. Um, there is one person who's going to be manning a venue where there are toilets and refreshments. They are literally just going to be there so that you can come and go. You've got a base. You've got somewhere you can hide or whatever. Um, I don't want you to hide. Um, there is another person who's on call and has got a car. So, for example, if you get into a great conversation with somebody at their door or just out in the street somewhere in the middle of a town and you're like, you can offer that person, you say, would you, would you like someone from the local church to just come and introduce themselves to you? You can then, they, if they say yes, you can just call this person and say, hey, I've got this person, they're interested in local church, could you pop and say hi? There will also be another person who will be out on the street, not with a car, but going out with the groups that are particularly going into town centre areas. They're pretty much the same role. So if anybody gets into a conversation and they're interested in the church, you can connect them um, with this person and say, hey, would you like someone from the local church to just come, there's a, in fact, there's someone over there. Do you want me to get them to come over and just say hey to you? And they might go, yeah. Because sometimes if someone, if you meet people, and some of you will today meet people that want to come to church, that want to find out more, um, they might feel a bit nervous about doing that. But if you introduce them to someone from the local church, they can say, hey, do you want me to save a seat for you? Um, do you want me to meet you outside? Do you know how to get there? All that little practical stuff, which we, you guys can't do because we're not going out on Sunday. Um, so... That's great. You're going to meet people who are ready to be invited to church and find out about Jesus. So we want to connect them to someone local wherever that's possible and they're up for that. So you can always simply offer. Finally, I just want to say a little bit about handling rejection. Some people will be interested and some people just won't be interested in having a conversation with you or talking to you about anything. Now, you don't know that until you start to engage with someone. You know, like some people can look really miserable and then you talk to them, and they're like, oh, hi. And other people can look really friendly. And then you see them, no, I'm not interested. You don't know. You don't know. You can't write people off. You, all you can do is give them an opportunity to engage with you and connect with you. And sometimes God just wants us to make the offer, and that's going to be really significant. Don't underestimate what one moment of boldness can do in someone's life. Just the fact that you've met someone and maybe offered to pray for them, even if they say no, doesn't mean that that hasn't had any, even an eternal consequence. Um, just a few things to bear in mind. Number one, they aren't necessarily rejecting you. Sometimes people are just in a hurry, you know, like, or they need the loo, or they've got a lot going on in their lives and they just don't want to interact in that moment, and that's totally fine. Number two, they aren't necessarily even rejecting Jesus. Sometimes people can seem more negative than they even are. And they're just maybe a bit hassled. And if you caught them on a different day, um, they'd be different. Um, number three, Jesus said that it would happen. Okay, some people are just not interested in Jesus or what we've got to share. And Jesus says in Matthew 10 verse 14, if anyone will not welcome you or your words... Shake the dust off your feet. 
He didn't tell his disciples to expect that everyone's going to be positive about what they were doing. And this means that successful evangelism is when we are, are obedient, not when it always goes positively. Okay, so as groups, celebrate when any one of you is bold and just does something. That is success. Celebrate it. Okay, quick recap. For this model of evangelism, as a group of five, pray and go where God sends you. Bear in mind that you might already have a specific area assigned to you, so you're more praying about where you go within like a a section of streets and a park. Most of you will have a kind of an estate with a park or you'll be in a more town centre location. So there will always be some kind of area, usually where people are gathering and you can walk around there and see what happens. Um, There may be more flexibility too about your area and where you go. So talk to your coach leader about that. They'll make it all clear. Number two, remember all the things that you can put in your backpack. Be ready with a story. Be ready with a question. Have a few things up your sleeve so you know that if you have a conversation with someone, you've got a few things that you could do. Thirdly, be safe and sensible. Good. I just want to close with a story, if we've got time. Oh, I'll do it quickly. I went out with a crazy evangelist. I used to sing to people. I wanted to learn about evangelism, and I went with this old guy who was like, come on, dear boy. Let's go to Sainsbury's. I'll show you how it's done. And we went, we went to Sainsbury's and he walked up to old ladies and he started singing them love songs. And I was like, this is weird. But they would smile and kind of think it was cool. And he'd go, Madam, when he'd finish the song, he'd go, Madam, do you know about a father in heaven who sings love songs over you? And um, it, it, believe it or not, it worked. It was amazing. I mean, like... <laughs> He just literally, in the space of half an hour, we had about 10 evangelistic conversations. Um, he would just grab people and go, would you like to hear a story about these young men and how Jesus has changed their lives? And then we'd be like, oh, and he'd go, off you go, boys. And um, we did. And I, I, I was really impacted by this experience. And I went, went into a park with my mate, who we'd both come together. And I was like, right, we've got to do this stuff. So I started kind of walking around in a circle in this park, plucking up the courage to sing a song, slightly singing a love song, sort of really quietly under my breath, and, and sort of got closer to somebody. And, 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 and then got closer to somebody else and almost, almost started to sing. And then I, can't, and I thought, I can't do this. This is awful. This is terrible. I, and then I sat down on a bench. I thought, this is terrible sat down on a bench and I just was dejected and there was someone on the bench next to me and um, I felt God just say just say hello so I went hello and we just sort of got into a conversation and I don't even know how it happened but it turned out he knew a Christian and he'd been thinking about things and we just started talking and we talked for 45 minutes I just shared some things I knew and I listened to him and he ended this conversation by saying to me, do you know, this conversation has given me a better impression of Christianity than anything else in my whole life. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Lord, I didn't have to sing a love song. <laughs> I just had to be me. I just had to be available. I just had to be in a place available to do evangelism and, and stuff sort of happens. That's what you guys are going to do. <laughs> Have fun. Jazz is going to come and just pray before we finish. Cool. We were um, praying this morning and I um, felt God just put, I saw a ring of fire around this venue and it was, it was a huge ring of fire and you couldn't actually see into the venue and you had to walk through the fire to get in here. And there was a real bravery that has to come on you to come get through that ring of fire and get in here. But I felt all of those that did actually do that, walk through and come in and sit down and say that they were going to go out this afternoon and do it, a holy boldness was going to come on you. And I kind of want to pray that over you right now. So it's not hyped up or anything, but I just want you to put your hands and just to receive. Put your hands out, sorry. And you're just going to receive. God is going to impart something on you now that you've not had before. 
And God spoke to me about a dignity that was to come on you. He was like the, he's the lifter of your heads. And as Joel spoke last night about shame and then spoke so well about shame, um, but reminded us so well about how, who we are in Christ, that we are a new creation. And I felt that kind of, that, that dignity, the lifting of your heads, this, this inner confidence to come in you, not an arrogance, not a, hey, we've got this all sewn down and we've got this all right, but uh, an inner confidence. And out of that inner confidence, uh, a deep compassion for those that you meet this afternoon. So Father's just going to do that one after another. He's just going to drop in dignity. He's going to drop in confidence. He's dropping in a holy boldness over each of you. That as you took that bold and brave step of coming in this morning, that something of the Holy Spirit is doing something very deep within you. That you will go out of here very differently than the people that walked in today. And Father, I pray a blessing over every individual this afternoon. Father, as they take risks and step out of their own comfort zones, Father, I pray that each person here would hear that incredible well done that comes directly from you. Holy Spirit, come and breathe on every person here. Amen. One final thought that I want you to be chewing on, okay? Listen to what it says in Ephesians 2. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God. Not by works so no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, this afternoon when we go out, all we're going to be doing, wandering around, all right, and tripping up on some of the good works that he's already prepared. Now that is super exciting.